0: Oregon Employment First, supporting people with intellectual and developmental disabilities to work in community jobs. Learn more at iWorkWeSucceed.org.
1: Hi, and welcome to the Oregon Employment First podcast. I'm Acacia McGuire-Anderson with the Office of Developmental Disability Services. This episode, we're discussing the illness called COVID-19 caused by a new or novel coronavirus. Health officials urge good hand hygiene, covering coughs, and staying home if you're sick. COVID-19 is spread from person to person through droplets in the air and on surfaces that people touch. More information is on the Oregon Health Authority's website. You can Google Oregon Health Authority COVID-19, and you should be able to access that. Today, joining me, I've got Lilia Tenenty, Director of the Office of Developmental Disability Services, and Michelle Patton who is an emergency services coordinator with Occupational Health, Safety, and Emergency Services. Welcome. So the first question I have, Michelle, is going to be for you. Can you tell us a little bit about COVID-19, the virus, and what the signs someone should be looking for are?
2: Sure. So coronavirus is a respiratory illness. That In that illness, it causes COVID-19, or what we know as COVID-19. It really has the potential to cause severe illness and pneumonia in some people, And right now, there's currently no treatment for this illness. People who have been diagnosed with COVID-19 have reported symptoms that may appear in as few as two days or can go up to as long as 14 days after exposure. Typical symptoms include a fever, cough, and difficulty breathing. And the, the cough is more of a dry cough, not what is referred to as a wet cough or a producing cough. So it's just a dry cough.
1: All right. Thank you for sharing that information. Lilia, can you speak a little bit to um, how COVID-19 might impact people with intellectual and developmental disabilities?
0: Sure. We know that many people with intellectual and developmental disabilities are potentially at high risk for contracting this particular virus. That's for a number of reasons. People with intellectual and developmental disabilities may have co-occurring health issues Or they may just by virtue of the disability have particular issues that put them in the high risk category. In order to protect the health and safety of people we serve and to provide clear guidance to everyone, we've issued a number of policies. Many of these policies are things that we would not do ever under normal circumstances. Right now, our biggest concern is protecting people's health and safety and doing what we can through issuing guidance and Directives to limit the potential exposure for people with intellectual and developmental disabilities. Some of the bigger decisions we've made and the ones that are having, we know, have a significant impact on people are to end our congregate or large day support activity gatherings and our large employment path gatherings. We don't want to create an environment where a lot of people with intellectual and developmental disabilities are coming together and then potentially maybe being exposed and then taking that back to their. Respective homes, so that was a difficult decision, but that's an example of the types of steps we're taking to protect people.
1: Right, and that was definitely a hard decision that Lilia took very seriously. I can speak from experience, but I think it's important to also share we're not alone in making those decisions. At the national level, several states are acting in the same manner, and we were able to release a policy transmittal, basically allowing these providers who we we had to force some of these closures to reach out and seek some contingency funding. Centers for Medicaid Services has also been trying to stay in contact with states and talking about what may be available in the future. So I just want to emphasize that you know, these are policies that we're taking very seriously and that other states are also having to, to face. Lilia, do you mind talking a little bit about some of the policies and steps we're taking around residential services?
0: Sure. Consistent with the decision around large congregate day activities, we've taken some pretty significant steps to limit the people, visitors, in our 24-hour residential settings. In our 24-hour residential settings, including group homes and provider-owned controlled supported living settings, we have stopped essentially any visitors from going into the home. Uh, We're doing that not because we want people to be isolated, but because we need to take steps to ensure that we don't have people coming into the home who may be bringing the virus with them. We've also issued guidance on screening procedures for people who come into the home. The staff and other essential visitors that might still be allowed to go into the home need to go through a number of steps to ensure that when they do come into the home, they are safe and to the extent possible, reducing the potential that they're bringing the virus with them. We've also limited visitors in adult foster homes. We expect, though, that those restrictions on adult foster homes will be more. We're going to re- increase them to the level of what we've done in group homes and our provider owned and controlled supported living settings very soon. Again, all of this is with the intent of protecting people who live in the homes rather than, you know, again, creating isolation. And if you think about each and every one of us at this point in time, Many of us are doing this on our own in our own homes. We don't have visitors coming over. We're not inviting friends and family over. We're recognizing as a community, as a society, that right now in this moment, in order to stay safe, we all need to just stay home, including people with IDD who live in these settings and including anyone else who just lives in a home on their own or with their family.
1: Right. And I think just mentioning too, we're getting a lot of questions about what people can do to stay connected, and I think, Lilia, to your point, just like everybody else, send a text message to a friend or family or make a phone call or use Facebook chat or Facebook Live to just stay connected and keep in touch with the people that you're close to as we go forward, and I think it's important to keep that in mind because it is something that's very real that every single person, I think, is grappling with right now.
0: Some other information that we can share is that we have a website. If you want to Google it, it's where we put all of the guidance that we've referenced, plus a lot more guidance that we haven't talked about. You can use your favorite search engine and enter Oregon ODDS COVID-19, and that information will come up. We've also created a, it's called a PowToon, but essentially it's a very informative cartoon type video that shows people in a realistic way that's available through YouTube that explains what COVID-19 is, and it's something that we hope people will use with their family members, with individuals with intellectual and developmental disabilities, and anyone that they want to communicate with about the importance of the protective measures that OHA and public health have advised, and then the reasons for social distancing and the kind of steps that we are taking right now in our day-to-day lives that people with intellectual and developmental disabilities may not fully understand at this point. So we hope you have the opportunity to look at that video and share that appropriately as well.
1: And the last thing I just want to emphasize is working for Lilia has been extraordinary right now. She has been incredibly on top of this and paying attention. I think even before a lot of other organizations really had to because of the population that we serve, and one thing that's been incredibly important has been communication. So trying to figure out how we get that how-to now, you know, how we stay in contact with our residential providers and our case management entities. Lilia, do you mind talking a little bit about some of the phone calls or like regular communication that we're doing with with our case managers or our providers? Sure.
0: We are right now, we initiated, I think a couple weeks ago, if I recall the history correctly, uh, weekly calls and webinars with all of our CDDP and brokerage partners. I think those have been really informative and important. Not only are they an opportunity for us to share with them guidance that we've issued and guidance that's coming out, it's also an opportunity for us to hear directly from the people on the ground, our case management entities, what they're seeing, what they need help with how they can strategize creative ideas amongst themselves. So we will continue those for the foreseeable future at this point. We also have had a number of opportunities for providers. Uh, We're hosting another one of those this afternoon. We expect quite a few providers to participate in that discussion. And that will be also via webinar. All of these things that I'm talking about, we are not doing in big rooms with big groups of people together. We're doing them technologically so we, we are doing the best we can to get information out. We've asked CDPs and brokerages to share letters and information with the people in their service system because for us, we know that when we as the state reach out to communicate directly through letters or written communication with the people we support, it takes us a long time to do that. And we have to work through a number of different issues. We know our CMEs, our case management entities are better equipped to do that. And so we really continue to rely on them to push out information as quickly as possible. Thank you.
1: Michelle, do you mind sharing with us a little bit about, from a DHS perspective, what we're doing?
2: Yeah. So DHS is, you know, has a lot of programs that wrap up underneath us between aging and peoples with disabilities and, you know, of course this unit and child welfare. So we have some liaisons that we have gathered and brought into our agency operations center. So it's basically a coordination center where we can talk and kind of strategize what our response is going to be to these issues. Lilly as a group has been, I would say, fantastic with leading the way and kind of giving the guide to all the other programs on maybe what it should look like and what responses should look like. So, we bring in any challenge that the field might have. We try to remove barriers as fast as we can. We take in questions from staff as they become concerned with providers that might be out there that have concerns. So, we're really trying to, as an agency, try to respond to them as quickly as possible this week we've really done some pretty big steps in getting a good kind of movement and cadence as if, as we go forward, knowing that this might be a little bit longer than we anticipated, just a two-week approach. This might actually end up being a little bit longer than that. Also, as a statewide DHS has a responsible at a statewide event too. Uh, we are active in the Emergency Coordination Center, which um, is through Oregon Emergency Management. That is directed by the governor's office and we have a responsibility statewide to look at issues that might affect us through uh, shelter, food and water. So we've got work groups that are working right now to address the needs and, of the population as a whole.
1: That's great, thank you. Um, you reminded me just, I wanna speak very briefly about some of the proactive work we're also trying to do. We are in the process right now of standing up a triage unit using our regional staff who will be ready to help figure out if somebody living in home with their family needs some support because their personal support worker isn't able to continue to support them, or if a residential provider ends up in a place where they're concerned about their staffing levels. We also have had providers um, who have been forced to close because of congregate settings and concerns about having too many people in one location at a time have been incredibly helpful in saying, you know, we're gonna do everything we can to maintain our staff with some of this contingency funding. If we do, we're happy to help with in-home or other residential settings. We've even had some say, hey, we might have a facility available, how could we use that? So I just wanna just give a quick shout out to how helpful and thoughtful all of our case management entities and our providers and our families and individuals have been and patient with us as we go through this, but also I think understanding that everybody here has got the people we serve, people with intellectual developmental disabilities, on the forefront of our mind as we go forward. So the last question I have, Lilia, is do you have um, advice for people with intellectual or developmental disabilities in their families?
0: Yes, and I think it's the same advice that we are all following right now. Please pay attention to the protective measures, hand washing, social distancing, all of those steps that have been laid out through the CDC and public health. And again, information on those you can find on our website about COVID 19. Please just take care of yourselves, take care of your family. If you have a family member or you yourself start exhibiting symptoms, contact, call, don't show up. That's other advice we are hearing very loud and clear. Call your primary care physician and let them know what's happening and uh, follow their directives in terms of um, what steps to take and what to do next. In the unfortunate event that we have someone who ultimately tests positive, please notify your case manager as soon as possible. The case manager will help coordinate activities and services around what needs to happen. And if you are uh, in a residential setting or you have a provider, obviously they'll need to know as well and and we would ask that you notify them to the extent that uh, you're comfortable with that and that it's appropriate for the type of services that you receive. We do
1: have some guidance on our, on our website again, like Lilia mentioned, where we've outlined some of the potential scenarios and the steps that we are asking our case management entities or our providers to take. So if there are further questions, please um, check that website, look for the title called Scenarios, um, and we are going to do everything we can to continue to update information, get information out in a way that makes sense, and just continue to work together as we go forward. Thank you, Lilia and Michelle. Anything either of you want to add? Oh, I think I'm good.
0: No, Thank you. Thank, Thank you.
1: Pleasure. All right. Well, thanks to you both. Uh, remember, we have more resources coming. Check the website. Please remember to stay safe, wash your hands, and stay home if you feel sick. This has been the Employment First podcast. Thank you for joining
0: us.